Hello everyone and welcome to Inspector Goals, where we try to improve our FPL play through a more analytical approach. My first time saying that intro, Luke normally does that, and that's because we've got two new hosts this year. Uh, one of them is Seb uh, Vassal, who's um, recording with Luke next week, but we're also joined by Ben Krellin. Ben, how are you doing, mate? Really good to good to see you. I'm doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Is that right? So, how are you? How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right, thanks. Yeah, I'm doing well. It's yeah, it's a it's like a real pleasure to have you on because obviously you're very well known within the FPL community. I had a little look earlier. You've got six top 10k finishes in the last eight seasons. Is that right? Is that up to date based on last season as well? And then eighth in the eighth in the all time rankings as well. Yeah, I think so. It's a bit false though, isn't it? Because all these people who started playing four or five years ago using analytics, they'll be ahead of me soon, won't they? When they have more seasons under their belt. belt and... <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't be so sure. I think you're probably uh, doing yourself a bit of a disservice there. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, I've got a lot to thank you for in terms of, I think even like five or six years ago, like winning mini leagues with mates before they were aware of who you were, where you would go into the, <laughs> you'd go into the end of the season and have all your chips left and just follow like uh, your tables and put together a good chip strategy. So much, that, so much of that is based on following you on Twitter. But now it's harder to win mini leagues because you're so well followed that all my mates who even play casually are like aware of who you are. <laughs> and now know to save their chips till later um yeah um, were you you obviously did really well last season um well, did you play did you play differently at all last season or has it been pretty consistent like the whole time you've played fpl it's been pretty consistent i suppose i've i suppose i've got more into analytics every year maybe and, and last year was my first full year using fpl review but i don't know my rank is kind of 5k-ish and it's kind of similar to how I've done in previous years so yeah I mean I was flying high in the middle of the year and then kind of tailed off a bit there was a time when I was top of all my mini leagues but I didn't didn't finish this season strong and just finished just outside the top 5k so I was pretty happy with that yeah 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 you should be very happy with that I mean I remember seeing early in the season you were like in the top 1000 which you you've never finished top 1k no appalling Shocking, <laughs> shocking. Um, but I guess I'm. I guess by way of introduction as well to anyone who's listening to the podcast for the first time, I'm quite similar in the sense that um, I just started getting into analytics like two seasons ago. Used it for the first time and had a really amazing season. Finished one point eight k, and then last season I finished fifty one k. So I had an okay season. I think that's. I think that's like quite a good season. But now I think because I engage with lots of like analytics managers on Twitter who all get really good ranks. It doesn't feel that good. Um, but similar in terms of when, not similar in terms of my rank history by any means, but similar in terms of when I got into review. And I definitely wouldn't consider to be myself to be an expert at all when it comes to analytics, but kind of learning as I'm going, um, to be honest. And um, yeah, what, what were kind of your initial reactions to the game, uh, Ben, when it was released in terms of prices and things like that? Is there anything that's kind of stood out this season for you? Uh, well, when it was first released, I didn't really get straight into studying the prices. I just waited a bit. I had a proper look. Well, maybe over the last few days, I've really got into a bit into it a bit more. I don't know. The prices are, are kind. Like Saka seems way underpriced because he's an elite forward in a in one of the top teams. Salah is kind of fairly priced, mm. but he's he's a bit of a question mark. Like depending on how good you think his fixtures are. And Haaland is a no-brainer. There's the forwards. The pricing is a bit kind of stretched out. There's not many kind of 
mid mid to high priced boards are there you have yeah. to kind of take a jump down so that's that's affecting the structure of of drafts you can make as well and there's some good value defenders there's a huge gap isn't there between like rashford at nine or who else is at nine son i think um and then or and then the, the, again the strikers who are like eight or eight point five like watkins jesus and then the next jump up's massive to either Salah at 12.5 or Haaland at 14. And I kind of, that's the one thing is like the whole game, the, the, the players are all way too cheap, to be honest, in terms of if you want to make a competitive game. But I completely get why they do that. And that's nothing new either. Like they do that to includes, I don't know, improves interaction and engagement in the game. So I get it. But I think the, the thing that I feel like they've got wrong is that all those midfielders that are like eight to nine, Rashford, Saka, Martinelli, um, Bruno Fernandes I feel like if they were all like one to two million higher it would there would be way more decisions to make um, and I've been playing over the last couple of weeks been playing the women's world cup fantasy fantasy game on she plays and like it's really highly priced so I've, I'm in a group chat with a few other people and our teams are all so different I think that's made me realize just <laughs> yeah how much better it would be but you know we'll get into the season and there'll be a lot of there'll be a lot more variation between teams um uh, as we go anyway that was just happen naturally as players get injured and people wild guard at different times and um, so no it's nothing new that there's a i guess a template around this time and it made me laugh like just before we started recording you said to me oh it's a bit it's a bit early to be doing a draft really and we're only a week out from the season starting and there's probably people listening to this who are you know been sharing drafts on twitter for like the last six weeks or last month however long the game's been out um but you're right well, i yeah, I notice people suffer from burnout during the season, don't they? And they they get sick of it. And I just think you want to you want to keep yourself fresh and only put time into into building drafts when it's productive. And if you're building a draft three or four weeks in advance when you don't know about injuries pre in preseason and and who's who's nailed, then it it can be a bit of a waste of time. Yeah, yeah. And to be honest, it's even just what with what happened yesterday and last night with Chelsea and Arsenal playing suddenly. Zeus is just not an option for game week one. And in Kunku, like, might not be an option for game week one. I don't think we necessarily know yet. Um, even just things like that it could change in the next week or, yeah, Community Shield result or lineup might change your thinking. Yeah, I just made a draft, my first draft properly last night and I'm now already thinking that was a waste of time because <laughs> of the injuries. And, yeah. Yeah. So drafting three, two or three days in advance. If, if you're like me and you don't, you don't have a full-time job and you can just spend a few hours on on the final day or the final couple of days that's kind of the best way to do it i think yeah no i completely agree but also like if people want to make drafts earlier and that's fun then absolutely they should they should do it as well yeah that's that's fine yeah if you've got if, if it's your main hobby and you've got nothing else that you can enjoy doing with your time then <laughs> go ahead yeah. that sounds so brutal um <laughs> is, is there anything is there anything then when you're making your draft last night um, are there any kind of like general principles you always follow in preseason going into game week one? Um, general principles, kind of hard to think. Uh, you want to obviously concentrate on the teams with the best fixtures early. Um, you don't you don't need to invest too much into your subs bench. I don't know. I I guess I kind of I get more focused as I get closer to the deadline and have a better idea of, of what I'm doing, but mm. this far out, what do, what do I think? I'm, yeah. I don't have any like specific things that I, I focus on apart from trying to get 
good fixtures, good captaincy options in in the first few weeks. Yeah. Uh, don't you don't really want to be planning transfers? I don't think, but mm. you can have a few players whose fixtures might tail off at a certain time that you can you can be thinking like, oh, I might sell one of these players if if they're not performing and maybe have an idea who who you might want to bring in. But yeah, it just it depends. Every season's a bit different with with which teams have got good fixtures to begin with and which teams have got new managers and it's always a bit different yeah and yeah so basically keep it simple is what you're saying um yeah, yeah for me like I, I find that first the idea of a like weak bench i found that a really interesting discussion point because in general if you look at players who are heavily into analytics in terms of fbl they like a really strong bench and it isn't necessarily that they like to although it's helpful to that they like to be well set up for when a player does get benched because actually it's always surprising to me how little I do use my bench in general. But it's more that it buys you time. So if you get to game week one and then suddenly, I don't know, let's say you've got Martinelli in your team and he gets injured game week one. If you your first sub is a 4.0 defender from Luton, you're going to be wanting to make that transfer to take Martin Martinelli out in game week two. Whereas if your first sub is Chilwell, for example, and you've got a really kind of a couple of players who are 5 or 5.5 that might be rotating from first sub to, to starting, you can then delay that transfer by a week and suddenly you've got two transfers and just that flexibility of two transfers and an extra game week of just knowledge um, is just so like so valuable. So, But I just find that hard to kind of get behind early in the season because I just know the likelihood is I'll wildcard really early. Well, when I say really early, in like the first eight game, game weeks at some point because that normally happens. So I kind of like a more prone to just want to take a bit of a gamble and only have like as long as two of my subs play if they're both 4.0 players who are defenders for bad teams I don't mind too much but I don't know if that's me playing the game wrong I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing um I just think it's an interesting like point of discussion particularly if you like it, you feel like it gives you an upgrade in your team that's like significantly better as well yeah it's, it's like when I first ran the review solve last night and it was had me having like a really stacked bench with only one cheap 4.5 forward, but the other two spots were good players, good options. And I was thinking, I don't really need that. You only need maybe the, the one good first sub who you kind of be okay having to start every week. And yeah, when you've got the wild card in, mm. in your back pocket and it's the first wild card isn't, isn't as useful as the, as the second wild card. You can just, you can wild card if you get into injury problems it's it's not not too much of an issue yeah yeah sure and i think in general that's quite it's just a helpful point to make at this stage as well so when it might be worth explaining what fpl review is because there'll be people listening people listening who might not be aware of that so fpl review is probably the most well-known or one of the most well-known um fpl uh, models so it um, gives you advice for your team um it puts values on players in terms of predicted points for every game week and therefore you can get it to suggest transfers for you for example um, and that's exactly what it is to me it's a way of it's like having a friend to run your team by and get their opinion on however it's just going to be extremely objective um, so a lot of people use that to play the game um, and yeah I like to again because I know I've got all sorts of biases when I watch football uh, and even when I look at data I'm going to kind of be prone to taking what I want to take out of it rather than what it might be saying. That's why I find models really helpful and find FPL review um, really useful. Is because it gives me an objective prediction for players. And I think it's a really helpful way to play the game. And what you were saying there about 
you know, it might suggest you have two really song, strong subs, but you disagree with that for your team structure. That's the kind of thing that's helpful to discuss where we would decide to go against it, um, for example. And I think that's like the basis of, I like to use review as like the basis of my team. And then I, my question I ask myself is, oh, well, why would I go against that? Is there a reason why I think actually that player is going to play less minutes than review thinks as the default default expected minutes or is there a structure issue or is it early in the season and therefore I need more flexibility etc um see so that's what I find really helpful is like asking those questions and not always just going oh, well we should never just go with what a model says just because that's what it says yeah it's like the, it's using bookies odds isn't it a lot and mm. you normally want to trust trust the odds and the data but there's occasions throughout the year where you just have a strong opinion that you want to you want to go with and that's fine. I don't think you, you want to be going with your, your own opinions every week because most of the time the model is going to be more informed than you are. But just like a few times you need to just get in and, and just do what you, you feel is, is best yourself. Well, I suppose like every decision, it, it points, it gives lots of different options for transfers and it shows little marginal gains and sometimes there's nothing between them and you'll scroll down until you see the, the transfer that you mm. you like best um you're not always going to go with the, the transfer that it suggests top definitely not no and it, and, it, and i just find it helpful to just pick up on things that if if, if there's a transfer i'm considering or a player and then i go and review and they're absolutely miles off an alternative at the similar price that'll just make me rule out that player to be honest so if there's a huge difference i will just use it to make that decision because uh ultimately <laughs> yeah it's better at predicting football than i am that's what i think um but yeah when it's really close that's when we need to bring our own like intuition in uh and if it's a difference between 0.1 ev which is expected value so expected points um that's when we just need to yeah there might be you might disagree with it and a lot of that is minutes to be honest and like what you mentioned about using bookies odds they all assume 90 minutes so particularly for like goal scoring or output yeah you definitely need to apply your own uh your own thought process and actually how valuable is that data if it's assuming 90 minutes and we think that player is actually likely to be benched or going to play 60 to 70 minutes um but yeah hopefully that's a helpful intro to people i guess who have never kind of used fpl review um and, and if you haven't used it before they have a free model that you can like uh try out as well so give that a go um, um i'm just going to move over to a slide here where you can see that this is actually from ben's spreadsheet that he creates when you can just see the fixtures um, I guess kind of the same initial question I asked before, Ben, around kind of initial thoughts on the game. What are your kind of initial reaction to the early fixtures and what teams to target and those kind of things? Well, the Arsenal players who are underpriced already and they start with good fixtures. So yeah. <laughs> tripling up on Arsenal seems kind of straightforward. Well, you definitely want Saka, don't you? And we'll talk about the defenders in a bit. Um, Man City, their fixtures are pretty good so you have to have Haaland and then you, you, you try and get a nailed defender and maybe you gamble on a midfielder mm. and Liverpool are mixed it's like they're not terrible fixtures there's there's reasons why you'd want them and then there's the tough away games the four of their first five away games are, are difficult so it depends on when you'd wildcard with with them mm. and if you can afford to stretch your budget for Salah um, with Alexander Arnold, and then you've got Brighton and, and Brentford who are, are good enablers because their fixtures are largely largely good. And then Chelsea's 
got really two really good home games in the game week three and four. Maybe you want to wait. Maybe you could target that as a first transfer in. It depends if Nkuku is, is fit to, to start. But mm. the likes of Chilwell and James, it's like a question of can you risk starting with them? Do you wait to see how they perform in the first two relatively difficult games and then transfer? Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. I think Chelsea are a good example where if you, for example, look at Chelsea's fixtures, they've got Liverpool first, then West Ham, then Luton. If, for example, you just switch the Luton and Liverpool fixtures and they had Luton first, then West Ham and Liverpool, they'd be so, like, James and Chilwell would be way more highly owned. Um, but actually, that's not necessarily that, that doesn't mean, necessarily mean that people are wrong now to not have them if they don't, and they would if they were playing Luton first. It's more that, yeah, that it kind of just buys you time to make that decision and see them play. And if suddenly they you know, only start one out of the first two, suddenly you're more put off by them. But it's a lot easier to buy your time and make that consideration when their fixtures are worse. Whereas if you risk it and go without and they've got Luton first and suddenly James gets a 21-pointer, uh, suddenly then you've kind of missed the boat. So I think it almost provides an opportunity. And just an- another general thought is that, yeah, like you said, the good teams have good fixtures in general, particularly City and Arsenal. And it was the same thing last season. I remember like this time last year sitting down with Luke and we discussed that the template was really strong because actually I think at the time it was City, Liverpool, one of the one of the other big teams like had the best fixtures. And I guess I mean you'll you'll probably know the answer to this, Ben. Is that is that is a lot of that to do with scheduling in terms of do the TV uh is it because they, you know, games get the most views around Christmas, so that a lot of those big games are likely to be during that period, or is it just random and it happens to be the case for the last two seasons? That those bigger teams happen to have easier first fixtures, or is there something in that that the bigger games are maybe saved for around the Christmas period and like later on in the first half of the season? Yeah, I'm not sure. It's all about Christmas, but they maybe want to. They don't want to use it up. The, the the really like top six clashes. They don't want to put too many of them early on because teams aren't firing on all cylinders and, mm. and it won't be as entertaining. So I think they do tend to to push them. Yeah to the middle of the year yeah because i've just really noticed that the last two seasons uh and i guess it allows more time for narratives and storylines etc to build and then man city versus arsenal rather than just being the two best teams playing each other on the first day it's suddenly or arsenal are three points ahead of city for example after 10 game weeks and now they play each other uh, and that's suddenly more exciting because you you know is it more within context but yeah there, there are my initial thoughts as well were like yeah triple arsenal Although even maybe now Jesus is injured, maybe that's even in question. I'm trying to decide whether I go with the Liverpool player or not, because again, their opening fixtures are, are, are pretty good. Um, and then City are just so interesting, because like, you'd look at that, and if you, if you were the kind of person who'd never played FPL before, but you're a massive football fan, you would look at that and think, oh, if you're playing a fantasy game, you just go with three City players. But it's just yeah, it's so much more complex than that, <laughs> as we know, because, yeah. of, because of Pep, <laughs> essentially yeah. rotating players. Um, yeah, so I think it, that the fixtures almost make an even stronger uh, template. Is, is there any kind of like time that stands out to you there to wildcard or do you try and not think about that at all and just save it for as, as late as possible? Um, well, you've got the blank coming up in, in game week 18. So like if you did you? save your wildcard... In... <laughs> yeah. I didn't even know that. Game week 18? Yeah. The... Uh, Club World Cup or something like that, is it? Club World Cup, oh, Man yeah. City against Brentford. It's not a ma- major thing. I mean, mm. I can scroll along on this spreadsheet page and they've got like Luton away, Palace at home before the blank and then Everton away, Sheffield United at home, 
Newcastle away, Burnley at home after the blank. So mm. if you if you wanted to carry three players, three Man City players around that that time, then you might want a wild card immediately after the blank, like in sell two. But that's only a, a small kind of carrot or whatever you want, to, a small temptation to save your wild card. There's, there's, you're not going to get into too much trouble if you need to wild card early. And looking at the fixture swings, you talked about. Game week eight being a good time to wild card, haven't you? That mm. that looks pretty pretty good. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that, that's just I just find that so funny that you're thinking eighteen game weeks ahead. <laughs> well, there have been times in in previous years when it's been like a big blank game week in game week eighteen. I can't remember when it was, and that was like a, a major reason to save the wild card. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this time it's just a small kind of thing that it could it could useful at that point yeah no, that's that's really interesting to know like because i think last year i can't remember but last week last year i'm pretty sure there was a game week where i think it was maybe the first international break or second international break it was like a really obvious time because there was a huge swing but maybe this year there's not so much an obvious time yeah the reason i said game week eight is because for those listening particularly who aren't looking at the fixtures um man city from game week eight play arsenal then brighton then man united and arsenal play man city then chelsea and then They've got Newcastle two games later. So it's just that those two teams where you've got expensive players, that might be the time where you transition from money out of Haaland, for example, into Kane or into Salah, for example, because Liverpool's fixtures are a good around that time. Um, or that might be where you go from three Arsenal players to one or two. So that was just my thought there. And I've kind of got that in the back of my mind and kind of thinking about planning for seven or eight game weeks. But yeah, I think it is important to be flexible as well because... And it's also just not like not being stubborn about oh, I'm definitely going to wildcard in this game week, but also not being stubborn about holding it if you just need to early on. If you realise you've made mistakes or some new information emerges, that's where it becomes really important. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, there have been times, the last time there was a club World Cup um, blank because of an English team winning the World Cup, and it was just a small blank and a double game week shortly after and I did save my wild card for that mm. I don't know if it helped out that much I think it was Liverpool I remember the Liverpool season when they they had the club world cup and then they played West Ham and I did I did use it to load up but it it was such a small thing but often you've got such a strong template and your team is you find your team is fairly settled that you don't need a wild card and mm-hmm. you can manage a little fixture swing swing like the one is one game week seven eight nine if if you just save your transfers um so yeah if you're not having to put out fires this kind of fixture swing that we can see is kind of manageable i think with three transfers yeah yeah definitely i do think that that regardless of whether you wildcard or not like if kane stays which i know is a big if i think the chances are he probably leaves but that the fact that from game week eight harlan's got arsenal brighton man united and kane's got luton full and crystal palace like that just seems like, like such an obvious switch, doesn't it? But it's just, yeah, a big, big, yeah, bigger. If you look at Man City's fixtures beyond that, like it's like Arsenal, Brighton, Man United, then Bournemouth in 11, which is difficult, but then Chelsea, Liverpool, Tottenham, Aston Villa away. So it's oh, like really? well, I really... on, only one easy fixture yeah. between game weeks 8 and 14 or 15. Yeah. So could you even be tempted to go without, without Haaland in that time? Yeah, I think so. Mm. I fancy it already. Eight game weeks in advance. <laughs> Great. Should we move on to um, let's move let's move on to just going through the uh, players. We, I guess we thought we would just because it's the kind of first podcast of the season, 
rather than shared drafts, what we're going to do is we're going to go through position by position. I've created some tables of who I think are the most relevant players for those positions with some data. And then we're just going to go through and discuss like which players we really like, which players we'd avoid, even though they're popular. And yeah, discuss minutes a lot and those kind of things. Um, so we'll just do that. And then next week, I think when Luke and Seb record, which will be the evening before the game week starts, I think they're going to go through like actual drafts, whereas this is going to be more big picture stuff. So here, what you can see here is basically a table for uh, goalkeepers. Um, so for those listening, what I'm showing is a table where you can see the keepers down the left-hand side. And there's, I think, about 10 of them there, maybe 11 or 12. Their prices. There's then their team non-penalty XG conceded per 90 last season. So that's the amount of basically how big were the chances that their team conceded last season in terms of underlying data. They've then got X-mins, which is their predicted average minutes per match, uh, according to uh, the default on FPL review. So we'll discuss whether we agree with those or not. And then what I've put is their expected value for game weeks one to four and then one to eight. And the, the reason I wanted to include both those is because of what we've just discussed, I guess, is kind of we want to be looking big picture in terms of, I think eight's probably a good number of game weeks. I mean, you can go further than that, but I just think there's so much uncertainty with things just changing with injuries. It's kind of maybe a bit foolish to plan, plan beyond then um, and maybe even as far as eight. But ultimately, we want, to, we want to put a bit more weighting on one to four just because we just know for certain, almost for certain, our team will be used during that period where you, you just never know. You might end up wildcarding earlier and then suddenly planning for game week six, seven, eight was suddenly uh, pointless. So you can see one to four and then one to eight. Um, so I think the big, kind of the interesting thing, I think straight away with goalkeepers is that when you run uh, a solve on FPL review, Edison comes up quite consistently within drafts. Um, but actually, depending what settings you um, apply to it, how many game weeks you apply, actually you see a quite a big mixture in terms of the keepers that come up. Um, but yeah, the big thing that a lot of people would question is the inclusion of Edison, particularly given how horrendous, horrendous isn't even an over-exaggeration, but horrendous he was last season, not just as an FPL asset, but as a player as well. He's like, <laughs> just conceded so many goals from shots he should have been saving. Um, don't know, what, would you go for Edison, Ben? Uh, I, I don't think so. Just, does he get many, like bonus points in games he does he not really no did he ever haul he doesn't no not really there's actually there's a couple of times last season where he was actually on for like a 10 pointer when he conceded really late which made it even more frustrating but actually generally like he doesn't get a lot of save points obviously right. um so you've got way less chance of like a double figure return um yeah looking at the, the seasons i've just got the season history he made he's made consistently like 50 60 saves mm every year until last year when you only made 46 saves so that the saves are way down i don't know if that's just a change in system or if he's just been a poor goalkeeper I, I don't think that it's all about being a poor goalkeeper that i think the big it's like a the 25 percent drop in the number of saves that he made mm. and he only got eight bonus points and he normally gets two to two to six bonus points so yeah yeah you're not getting much extra from him and even if you look at his, like, so analytically look at his EV across the first, let's say, eight game weeks, it's only, it's about five points higher than, uh, in fact, let's say seven points higher on average there than a keeper that's 4.5. So actually, can you squeeze out an extra seven points elsewhere by putting another million pounds into your outfield? Yeah, quite quite possibly. 
So for me personally, I've definitely not like ruled him out as an option because I feel like there's a lot of bias in terms of how how often last season he conceded late goals. Um, and I think he's a I do think he's a good option at the beginning because of their fixtures and the fact he's nailed in the Man City defense and and they're ultimately the best defense in the world. So I've not ruled him out. I've, I've not I've not decided yet, but I actually do think he's a good option. Whereas I I basically I like Edison. I think it's probably a bit of a misconception that analytics players like always have Edison. But actually, we tend to like him when he's got double game weeks, like most people do. And the reason why most of us had him towards the end of last season was because of that. And at the beginning of the season, and particularly at the beginning of the season, because there's often a keeper who's 4.5, who's just like a standout keeper for the whole season. Last season, that was Raya. In years gone by, probably most uh significantly was Martinez that year where he was just unbelievable was getting nine ten pointers regularly for 4.5 but it's just really hard to know who that keeper is going to be now so you either gamble on a keeper who's 4.5 like Pickford for example um knowing that they could get like a couple of 10 pointers or they could or they could just get you know lose games three or four can concede three or four goals or you just go with Edison where it's probably more guaranteed consistent points and probably the most chance that he'll get the most points compared to other keepers individually but there's probably less chance that he's going to get 10 and 12 pointers so yeah you can take the gamble on the 4.5 and suddenly if Everton keep keep you know three killing cheats in their first four like that's just unbelievable value for Pickford is just a bit more uh, unknown I guess yeah I, I agree with that like Man City's fixtures are so good in these opening six or seven weeks so if there's kind of like ever a time to have Edison, it might be mm. now, I suppose. If, you, if you're going to have triple Man City, you have Haaland. The next best is probably Diaz. Like Diaz is probably like a bit better than Edison, just the same price and, mm. and like more more upside. But then like your third Man City spot, maybe you do go for Edison instead of a, a gamble of midfielder. I suppose it depends what happens mm. in the community shield and who's going to, start on the first Friday night if we get team news with that like we can talk about that later but yeah, yeah. Al- Alvarez could be an option Grealish but yeah Edison might be a good option if you're tripling up on Man City yeah yeah I think that's actually this is probably the position where um, there's just there's just so little in it like I just think particularly if you'd make say you make the decision oh, I'm just I'm, I'm not going to go for Edison I'm going to go for a keeper who's five four point five. If you look at the expected value and just in general, based on what we know about keepers, for all those keepers on this table, which is Steele, Pickford, Flecken, Leno, Johnston and Fabianski, um, between the best option and the worst option, if, if you have all their X-Mins at about 90, there's like three points. Like that's it. If that, the only reason Fabianski is significantly lower on this table is because his X-Mins are lower. But again, you're, not, you're probably not going to, if you pick him, you're probably going to pair him with Ariola. And you'll be getting Ariola's points anyway. So it kind of is 90 minutes effectively. So there's just such little difference between the keepers. And just in general, we know clean sheets are unpredictable. And probably like one or two of these keepers will randomly make a pen save, which we can't predict in the first few game weeks. So it does feel like a bit of a, if you're going to go with one who's 4.5, just going to go with your gut. Um, and actually, it's, it's interesting, like Review really, really likes Kepa. But with them now signing Sanchez... Like I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure like Sanchez isn't going to suddenly come in his first option. I don't think anyone's expecting that, but ultimately it's competition, and from a very good goalkeeper. So it just feels like a bit maybe like an unnecessary risk. 
go for to go for Kepa and maybe similar with Ramsdale with them signing Raya um as well. Don't know what do you think about Onana? Um is he gonna make Man City Man United's defence a lot better is the question, like mm. their defence wasn't that good last year, was it? Um no. they've got two tough two tough away games in the first four matches. So is that an opportunity to make to get more save points and potentially get a haul? He could just get two pointers against Spurs and Arsenal away. Mm. Um, yeah. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I, I agree with you there. And people will be hear you say that and say like, "What do you mean they got the most clean sheets?" But if you just look at goals conceded, like not you don't even have to look at the underlying data. Just look at goals conceded. They weren't anywhere near the top of the league. Um, they conceded plenty. They just had a lot of games where they, for example, they. They like conceded seven against Liverpool, for example, and then they got randomly got clean sheets. But also, if you look at the underlying data in terms of chances conceded and um, on here, non-penalty expected goals conceded per 90, they're at 1.26 per 90, which isn't particularly good at all. Um, it's like, again, exactly the same as Martinez at Villa. Like Their defence isn't that good, Like I don't think, to justify going for a keeper who costs five with those fixtures. And I think if you've got Onana... And and then they they happen to concede against Wolves. Suddenly you've got a keeper in your team who's got Spurs, Arsenal, and Brighton in three out of their next four, where probably none of them you're expecting a clean sheet. And I just think you should probably expect similar. Like he will be slightly higher on bonus. I think based I saw some analysis that um, it was either Adam or Baker from the Above Average podcast. I can't remember which one of them did the analysis um, of like bonus point likelihood. And yeah, because he makes so many passes, he probably is more likely to get bonus points. But in general, in terms of conceding goals, most of that comes down to chances conceded. And he might be a slightly better shot stopper than De Gea, but I think you should probably expect a similar amount of clean sheets as to as to when they had De Gea in goal as uh, well. There aren't so. many better shot stoppers than De Gea. Like De Gea's problems with yeah, yeah. passing out, and that's that's why they've got Anana for the, for the passing. So is, I'm not sure if he's going to make more saves than De Gea. You might not, might not need to make as many saves as De Gea because they might control possession better this year. Mm. Yeah, I mean, do do you have a preference in terms of like Steele, Pickford, Flecken, Johnston? Do you what? Who do you, who did you have in your draft last night, for example, that you made? I had Flecken. Yeah. Um, just I think I've seen some data about like Brentford. The average distance of the shot is is further away, so they're mm. they're more likely to concede like good, savable shots, and he can yeah. rack up save points. That's what happened with Raya last year. Um, will he be as good as as Raya? Don't really know until he's until he's played a bit, but yeah, I think I prefer Flecken out of the four point fives, but I haven't looked looked into it that much yet. And he seems um like yeah, based on, again based on what I've read and from chatting to uh to Tom from yeah he's he's a like Brentford correspondent for um Planet FBL like he just doesn't doesn't think there's any threat to his minutes because they're back they've got obviously Ray is left, but it, he thinks it's pretty clear that Flecken's now first choice. So yeah, I think I think now if I had to guess who I go with, I think I'd probably end up with Edison or Pickford would be my guess. Um, but another thing I would say is, is if you're going to go for Steele, if if you don't want Steele, don't like the reason be that you've got a Stupinan. I think like don't be put off double defense just because it's double defense. If you think he's the best keeper, go for him and try and ignore the fact you have a Stupinan instead. You just need to compare him uh, to the other goalkeepers, even though it feels like brave doubling up on a defense. Like most people have a Stupinan anyway. It's just one extra player, regardless of who you go for. So I think you've got to try and like try and ignore that as well. Yeah, sorry, we just uh, 
randomly just lost connection there. So sorry for the random uh, transition that you probably just got if you're listening to or watching this. Um, yeah, Ben, I guess we were just finishing up anyway. Do you have any kind of like final thoughts on keepers before we move on? Uh, just with the the X mins that you can see there, they're either going to be ninety or ninety five, I suppose, if we get a bit more stoppage time, or they're going to be nothing. They're either nailed or they're not. The X minutes becomes more important as you like switch to defenders, and then especially with midfielders and forwards who aren't nailed. But it's a bit more a bit more simple. And like Fabianski, I don't know the reports that Ariola is going to be the the um, league goalkeeper. Mm. But, I guess, the, I mean, the good thing there is that Ariola's 4.0. So if you go with Fans yeah. Fabianski, you just go with both, don't you? Yeah. So then you're you're sorted. Yeah, the thing, the only last thing I'd say is, although I what I said, although I said, you know, that if you're going to go for steel, ignore the fact you have a stupid hand, I do think you have to take that into account if you're trying to cover a defence um, for some positions. So what you mentioned in terms of comparing Edison to Diaz, um, for example, um, I think if you're going to go for Newcastle defence, suddenly, like, Pope's just like suddenly a really bad option because he's so much more expensive. Is he six, isn't he? No, he's 5.5. It's, you know, the same as Edison. And you've got like Botman at 4.5, who's as nailed, is going to get the same clean sheet, clean sheet points, and actually has some attacking threat for a whole million cheaper. So I feel like that's just completely ruled out Pope, to be honest. Um, but I feel like they also kind of have to do that with his price based on how good they were defensively last season um, as well. So I guess our like, summary of our thoughts there are maybe me more so than Ben, but go for Edison or um, we agree. Yeah, between those 4.5s, there's not a lot in it, but probably Steele, Pickford, Flecken. Yeah, maybe Johnson, like their defence was good last year. You can make a good argument for lots of them, but it's one not to overthink, isn't it, the keepers? Great. Uh, Great. Moving on to defenders. Again, for those like listening in, we're showing exactly the same uh, data. We've just got there again, instead of expected goals and expected assists, we've just got those as expected goal involvement here. So that's the two combined just for sake of fitting it on the table, to be honest. Um, yeah, I guess the big question straight away with defenders that everyone had as soon as the game came out and that was people were really split on that people are probably less split on now is whether you have Trent in your team. Don't know, what are your thoughts on that, Ben? I, did that, I know you said he didn't do a draft until last night, but had you, had you thought about that before last night? I had a bit. Um, yeah, I was more tempted to to go for Salah than Trent. I think um, we're a bit unsure about their defensive capabilities without Henderson and Fabinho and having a different defensive midfield. Having Chelsea away and Newcastle away early on, uh, I'm not sure. But it, it it might change if the forwards, if there are, all the forwards are injured, like Nkunku and. And hmm. Jesus, you have to change your system. Maybe you do find you have 2.4 lying around to upgrade a 5.5 to, to turn, but I'm not like trying to get him into my team. I'm just maybe I will do if, if, it, if it suits. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, particularly if like a, a good, cheaper striker emerges to downgrade Jesus to. Or if you're going to go have Jesus and Ngunku, then they're both out, then maybe that's a way you're trying to upgrade your team. For me, I, I had like Trent in my team the whole time but I basically made a draft as soon as the game came out then I just didn't look at it at all until like a couple of days ago and I'd had Trent in my team the whole time this is probably a good example actually of a decision where I've just really let FPL review impact my thinking um, which I think is a good thing because as soon as I looked at those first four 
to eight game weeks and saw that his EV is actually just really similar to Chilwell's, for example, actually less than Trippier's over the first eight game weeks. And the fact his price is eight, that just immediately put me off him, actually. Um, and I think there's also, like, it depends on your read in terms of his position in the last game. He did play right back, and Seb did a really good analysis on uh, his scout cast, uh, where he compared Trent when he plays defensively in the midfield role to playing as a fullback. And his conclusion was that he's far, far better option attacking wise when he's playing as the fullback and crossing from those uh, positions that he's so dangerous in. Um, so it also might depend on your read on that. Um, but yeah, I don't think I initially thought that eight was like a really good price for him. Um, I'm now kind of, I'm now more thinking actually maybe he should have been 7.5 um, when I, because of the how cheap some of the other defenders are. But, you know, this can all change very quickly, particularly with how injury-prone James and Chilwell are. Uh, I think they're like a big discussion point as well because they're both like so attacking. So you can see on here like Chilwell 0.23 goal involvement per 90. So you'd be expecting a goal or an assist every uh, every four games on average. James as high as 0.29. And actually a decent amount of that is goal threat as well. James, he does have shots. Um like their attacking threat is incredible and they genuinely have the potential to get you like if they get quite lucky they can get like two assists and a clean sheet in the same game but it's just they're just so so injury prone <laughs> and just I've got bad experience particularly of James um, which makes me more like to go with Chilwell I think even though he's had a he's had like one major long-term injury but he's not doesn't have the same kind of consistent niggling injuries that James has so I'd be more more confident with Chilwell um, out of those two yeah, and with Mason Mount leaving, um, do you think they're more likely to get even more set pieces between them? They could just share all the yeah. set pieces. Like, is there any midfielder that Chelsea have who's gonna who's gonna take them? Particularly in um, so in preseason, Chilwell's been taking a lot of free kicks and corners. I'm not sure about James. I just saw an analysis on Chilwell yesterday. So yeah, he was already taking some. I think, but they'll probably take more of those as well. So, you know, there's even that like distant dream of the fact James might one day take a penalty. Which I don't think will ever happen. <laughs> Just because I think it was mentioned once by probably like Graham Potter or something. Um, but yeah, they're both like really attacking regardless of that. Um, and yeah, I, I prefer Chilwell. And it's, it's just, uh, if I could guarantee they were both fully fit, I'd have James. But it's just a, min- it's just a minutes thing in terms of mm-hmm. I just trust his fitness that slight bit more. Um, do, you, do you want a squad where you, you can like leave Chilwell on the, on the bench in game week one and play like... You're 6.5 midfielder ahead of him and, and the rest of your defenders. This is where I have that decision, to be honest, like I mentioned earlier about like that dilemma between whether I go for a good first sub or not. Because if I do, yeah, that's what I'll end up doing. I think it will be Chilwell and he'll be a sub in the first game against Liverpool. Uh, and then we'll rotate with like a cheaper striker, for example. But actually at the moment, I don't have any Chelsea players in my team and I've just got a really cheap bench. But I don't know whether I'll hold my nerve on that. Um, because, yeah, again, that allows me a better striker, which we'll come to later. Um but yeah, I mean, they're, they're good options. A lot of it just comes down to like risk appetites, how much you're willing to risk. And they're the kind of players where I'd really consider actually who are the other players you have in your team in other positions. So say, for example, you've already got um, Foden and Stones. Yeah, they're probably good examples. Maybe even uh, maybe even like someone like uh, Matoma or March, where there's like the potential they could get rotated, particularly Stones and Foden. And, you know, maybe then don't go for Chilwell or James because suddenly that's like three or four players in your team that could be rotated in the same game week. Whereas I think if you've got other players with more secure minutes, that's where I'd be more likely to go for them. Um, 
yeah, I guess particularly with like someone like Stones, where he's another defender who could, I think people expect him to play most games, but he could randomly be rotated. If you lose Chilwell and Stones in the same game week, suddenly you're relying on both your sub-defenders. So I'd li- I would like kind of the expected minutes of your other players come into the thinking with those two. I agree with that. You can you can take a few more risks early in the season because you've you've got your wild card, but you you don't want a scenario where you've got two of them missing in a week, like you said, and having to go to to sub two. Yeah, yeah. But I would like at the moment. Yeah, at the moment I don't have either of them, but I'm to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised come game week one if I've got Chilwell in my team. Um, but I think it's it's a really I would think it's a really brave move to go for James and Chilwell. And in my opinion, that then needs to be a back four just because I think Gabriel and Estupinan are so good as options. Um, I don't know. I, I was actually quite surprised when I saw Gabriel's EV on review because his, his X-Mins are at 86, which is high. Um, but his EV is only 14, which is like similar to, for example, only slightly more than Luke Shaw over that period. Um, it's a lot less than Luke Shaw over the first eight game weeks. Uh, I was really surprised by that, given Arsenal's fixtures and given Gabriel's attacking threat. So yeah, I'm not. I don't know. I'm trying to work out what the reason for that is. I don't know what your read is on that. Could it be the defensive data in, in the last few weeks of last season? Did they decline a bit? Maybe. Um, yeah, maybe, or maybe it's just those particularly those fixtures in four, six, and eight. They've got Man United, Spurs, and City. Um, yeah, maybe. Maybe I just wonder if it's more to do with clean sheets or whether it's undervaluing his attacking threat. I don't know. Or maybe I'm undervaluing Shaw's attacking threat because he played at centre-back so much last season, whereas now I think we're probably expecting him to start the season at left-back. Um, you'd imagine now they've had a chance to sort out their defence. Um, and, you know, with players being... Yeah, players returning from injury as well. So, I don't know. I just thought I just thought it was an interesting one and that was one of the ones that just really stood out to me because I'm definitely not going to go without Gabriel because, again, you look at his non-penalty XGI there 0.14 per 90 actually the majority of that I think 0.13 is expected goals so you're expecting a goal like every seven to eight seven to eight games from him which is just so much and I think last year he scored three times the season before I think he scored five times so he did actually kind of hit that number last year he was maybe a bit unlucky um, but if he got lucky and just suddenly you know he just managed to execute a couple of tricky headers and just or you know, if, if luck's on his side, he you know he's the kind of player who could just randomly score like two goals in four games or in games back to back. Like he is so, it's, he's such a threat from set pieces. Um, so yeah, I think Gabriel and Estupian, Estupinan are probably locked in my team. Estupinan for similar reasons because I massively underestimated his expected minutes last year and I didn't have him. I had Dunk, and that was something I got massively wrong, given how much more attacking threat Estupinan has. Um, I just think he's his minutes are pretty safe and he's so attacking and he's five. Um, yeah, I don't know, what, who who have you got on your team at the moment, Ben? And where are you at with City defenders as well? Uh, what was my first draft? It, it definitely had uh, Gabriel, Estepinian, um, Chilwell, a 4.0 defender and um, Ruben Diaz. Mm. Yeah, because... Okay, so you'd potentially then, would you bench Chilwell in the first game week? Is that what you're trying to thinking about doing, or is that four at the back? That was um, benching him in the first week, I think, yeah. playing my, my 6.5 midfielder with mm. three, yeah, so playing three, five, two. Yeah, 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 yeah nice. And um, yeah, one thing I would say is I just don't think, 
So Botman is obviously a really good price in general long term. But in my opinion, their fixtures aren't good enough early to go for him. And particularly with the quality of some of those players we've already discussed. I just don't like the idea of having like... You know, ultimately, I'm, not, I'm rarely going to start him. So I don't like the idea of having that extra 0.5 on the bench. I'd rather just have a 4.0 player than Botman. Because I don't want to start him regularly. The fixtures aren't good enough. And I don't want the extra 0.5 on my bench. But yeah, I added him to this table because he's popular. And I added Pedro Porro just because his attacking threat is so good. So at the moment, he's obviously got by far the lowest EV there, but that's based on 50 expected minutes. If like people are really convinced that Porro is going to start every game um, and his expected minutes are way higher than that, I think he's a real option as well, Like just because he's so, so attacking. Yeah, I, I agree. Pictures are a bit mixed for Spurs, and we don't yeah. know what they're going to be like with the new manager. Are they going to be defensively more open and they're going to be attacking more? Um, three away games in the first four, but they're fairly easy away games. But the, the uh, home game is Man United, so it's a bit mixed. Yeah, 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 sure. Um, shall we move on to midfielders? Because I feel like there's a lot to discuss in terms of midfield. Goalkeeper's pretty straightforward. Defenders, I mean, I think there's probably like... We, think it, we both think it's pretty straightforward in terms of two of them, you can include. And then it's just whether you go for Chilwell or James or whether you include a City defender. Um, in fact, quick, I guess quickly to, to touch on City defenders, you mentioned you had Diaz. Is that just to do with minutes, Ben? Basically, you're more confident in his minutes over Stones or... Yeah, it, that, yeah. that's the case. I think he's the, the most nailed probably, but mm. maybe we'll... It's just, they've added um, Gvardiol, haven't they? Yeah. He threatens... Does he threaten Ake the most? He's yeah, like, yeah, definitely. Gradio is a centre-back who can play left-back, same as Ake. Yeah. Um, who else have you got then? You've got Akanji, but he's mm -hmm. not going to start every game. Then, yes, yeah, Stones. Mm -hmm. I suppose Stones is going to get more minutes in midfield if they've got two like left-back, left-defenders like mm. in um, Gradio and Ake. So maybe that hints at Stones being the extra man in midfield more often. Yeah. Um, maybe Stones is, a, is worth a gamble. But how much is... Stones is 5.5 5 as well, isn't it? Yeah, they're the same price, yeah. And yeah. Is, is Stones attacking data that much better if you got him up here? He's 0.12. He's a little bit better. And did he mention in a quote that he's he's getting forward more and he's... Yeah, it's the fact he's just playing that midfield role and that's why he's played in pre-season, I think. But yeah, yeah, I think what we saw last season with City was that their lineup in the Community Shield, uh, I don't want to be quoted on this because I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was identical to their lineup in game week one. Um, so I, I think in general, that's probably, he's going to play his best team and he's probably going to play his best team in the first game of the season, even though it's only Burnley, so to speak. Um, something that's interesting with Burnley that I remember Luke's mentioned before is that when they played Burnley in the past, or when they played teams that put a lot of ball, long balls into the box, they often played Aki because of his height. But it's a completely different Burnley team. <laughs> I think yeah. it's always have this idea in your head of like Burnley are that kind of team, but they're now managed by company. They play really good football. Like they said, that's not a consideration, I don't think, for that fixture. Um, oh yeah, so I think basically Diaz is safer. You still expect Stones to pay, play all the games, um, but maybe he might miss one of like the first five, for example. Um, so you basically just pay a little bit more for that attacking threat which is improved with him in midfield sorry you don't pay a little bit more you take a bit more of a risk in terms of minutes to get that extra attacking threat or you play it safe with Diaz and that's where you know if you go for James and Chilwell probably go for Diaz 
again, so you don't get caught out. That's where maybe that kind of consideration we mentioned before might come in. Um, but yeah, should we move on to midfielders? Sure. Because this is a big, big old table. Um, so for anyone listening, yeah, we're looking at the same thing. Expected goals, expected assisted goals. Uh, this is all just based on last season for the midfielders. And again, their EV for game week one to four and game week one to eight. So what was the kind of main thing that stood out to you when you were kind of run things through review last night, Ben? Um, it's just the uh, Saka and the two yeah. mid- midfielders, they kind of like must own something. They're so good value and mm. yeah. Saka like particularly just was like, I can, when I looked at it for the first eight game weeks, he's got higher EV than Salah. And yeah, seeing Rashford not even that far behind Salah, that again immediately just made me rule out I'm not going to try and squeeze Salah in, uh, essentially. Yeah. But again, it's more to do with what we mentioned earlier about them being probably slightly too cheap. All those players, Saka, Rashford, Bruno, even Son, like they could easily be 10 million players and it would suddenly be way more interesting. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of your midfield, are you looking to play five there, do you think? Because there's so many options. Well, if you've got Chilwell as, your, as one of four good midfielders like and you have a 6.5 midfielder as your as your fifth mid you might rotate and play three four three some weeks no three five three some weeks and four mm. sorry I'm, I'm getting it wrong but yeah if you have two forwards you're either going to be playing three five two or four four two and like ro- rotate your your fifth midfielder but the six, there's lots of good value at 6.5 isn't there um yeah but i don't know if you can if you don't know if you want two of them like the way the the forwards there's no like two standout high priced forwards that you want no and it's hard hard to find forwards it's 7.5 and 8 now with with the injuries that yeah you might want to get two arsenal and two man united midfielders yeah it's not it's not just that is it it's it's like um it's uh yeah the lack of those other options in terms of strikers but also the fact that jesus is now not an option that's suddenly another arsenal player most people then suddenly have two Arsenal players. So the obvious replacement is to bring in Martinelli or Odegaard. So again, that probably rules out having the two 6.5 players. If you've got Bruno, Rashford, Saka, Martinelli or Odegaard, there's then room for one. Um, yeah, for me, I, I, would prob- I think I'm going to go for Martinelli and Saka. I, I think for that extra 0.5 you get from Martinelli, I think it's worth it. And again, it's just, I think there's a lot of people are worried about Martinelli being rotated. That's now less of a worry because of Jesus being, not, being out. Uh, because that has a knock-on effect with, you know, Martinelli could play in that position or another player plays in that position. And that's one of the players who might have been subbed on for Martinelli or might have started instead of him. But I also think in general, there's not really a big minutes risk with Martinelli that maybe a lot of people think there is. Any conversation I've had with an Arsenal fan, <laughs> it, they've just like, it's just obvious to them that Martinelli's first choice on that left wing. Whereas I think it's maybe a bit of a uh, FPL Twitter thing that we are suddenly really concerned that he's going to be a rotation risk. And so I think particularly with Jesus now, I'm just willing to take that risk because I think the upside of Martinelli is so much higher um, than Erdegaard. And I do just wonder, I do wonder whether Havertz playing will mean that Erdegaard plays slightly deeper. Um, but that's just speculation. I think we'll we'll probably find that out uh, as well. So yeah, my thought process is to have Martinelli and Saka. I think Rashford and Bruno, uh, I, I think are no-brainers now, to be honest, um, I, I just because their prices. Um, I would like. I think Bruno, particularly because he he has penalties. I may even like prefer Bruno over Rashford. In fact, for the fact he's on penalties and still attacking. 
Um, and I think it's also exciting that Son is nine and they've made him a lot cheaper and in line with these other these other midfielders as well. Because later in the season, I think he'll become an option as well. Um, yeah, and I, I, I use, do you have similar thoughts with regards to Arsenal, Ben, or do you... And, and would you even go with two Arsenal? Like, if you actually think there's more value in the 6.5s, despite Arsenal having amazing fixtures, now Jesus is out, would you end up, like, consider the possibility of actually just having two of them? With what, one defender and one... Yeah, like just Gabriel and Saka. Saka. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that is definitely an option as well. Like, Feels weird though, doesn't it? <laughs> depends. When we talk about forwards, like, if you go down to one of the six... Five or five point five forwards, then you can use the extra funds to go up to Salah or mm. Trent, and then then you maybe you do have a cheaper midfield, and I don't know, yeah, yeah, it's definitely worth like definitely worth thinking about at least because it feels so weird to go without to, to only go with two players when Arsenal are probably the second best team in the league and they've got amazing fixtures. Like feels weird. But actually, sometimes those things do make context do make sense in the context of the team. Um, and you mentioned before, like the good six point five options. The, I mean, the the five I've put on here are March, Matoma, Eze, and Bomo. And I've actually added Diaby as well, who's a new signing, um, just because his underlying data is so good. Um, I think he signed from uh, League One. I can't remember which team. He's um, Villa, isn't he? Yeah, Aston Villa. Yeah, and it's fairly high in review and it's hard because of that uh, kind of previous really good attacking data. Um, yeah, out of those five, or is there any, like, which ones do you like the most and is there is there someone I'm missing on that list, do you think? Um, I don't think, out of the 6.5s, I think you've, you've covered them. Uh, who do we like? Um, and Burmo is the one on FPL Review stands out and yeah. I agree with that. Without Tony, like, is he going to be as as good? He's had quite a good preseason, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. Um, yeah. But yeah, a Burnley, a Brentford, going to be able to like form attacks in the same way? Like they mm. they had a really good partnership in the Premier League, Tony and, and Burmo. But I still think he's he's good value. He's playing up front. He's cheap, and the fixtures are, are decent. That yeah, you can't really go go wrong with it in Burmo. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, like with, and it's easy to say, oh, he'll be really good because when Tony was out last season, he like went on a good scoring run. But it's just such a small sample, and again, we just don't know what that's going to look like long term. But yeah, just the fact he's on penalties, and he's playing for Brentford, who are one of the better teams, uh, and the fact that he's only six point five, it just yeah, like, I think that's a good way of putting it. Like, it's kind of not a lot to lose because ultimately he's only cost you six point five, and you'll probably then you know getting a better striker or you're putting money elsewhere because of it so yeah i, I agree and then particularly now seeing the data from i i, I liked him bumo anyway but now seeing the data from review where he's like 37 predicted ev for the first eight game weeks the same as erdegaard that just makes him a no-brainer at that price for me um and i think yeah i think i might like to only have him from the 6.5 for the reasons i mentioned earlier drb is probably one to keep an eye on as a review really likes um I'm not as keen on Eze, I don't think. Um, he'll He's on penalties, which is really good. And obviously the same price as Mbumo. Um, but I just don't like their opening fixtures quite quite as much. Um, just because he's got he's got Arsenal in his second game maybe puts me off him slightly. It makes me think that's more of a wait and see. Um, 
So yeah, I'm not as sure on Eze. And then I think Matoma and March are like pretty similar, aren't they? Review slightly prefers March, even with Matoma having higher X mins. Yeah, it's it's hard to pick between those two. I think. Mm. Yeah, just you can flip a coin on them, really, I suppose. But I think I prefer Envermo. I'm just going to have one, and uh, yeah, we, we could get more of them on a wild card later if you wanted to have more expensive players like Salah and, and Trent and you might be leaning on more of those but maybe just pick one at the minute yeah definitely um, I think Nakamba as well who signed for oh, who's, is he also Villa um, he seems to be the best uh, 4.5 option as well from what I've looked at as well He didn't he go to Brentford who is, I'm not Brentford, um, Luton Luton that's it yeah but from... he was on loan from Villa and that's it. You know, yeah. he's, he's permanently can remember at the top, top of my head, but again, that's based on pre season. He started regularly and been reasonably attacking. So, if you're going to go down a completely different route and have four midfield, he's probably the one to go for. And based on what I've read, but I just don't think that's really a consideration for most people, to be honest. Most people are going for five midfielders now in either a three, four, yeah, in a three, five, two, basically. Um, I think three point three four three has kind of died to death really since the forwards have been injured. Um, I was on that for a while with Haaland, Hazusen and Kunku, which is obviously probably two of those out of the three won't play now in the first game week. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, I would really like, particularly with the Arsenal guys, I would really encourage Martinelli over Odegaard. Personally, for me, that's just my read on the minutes based on conversations. And I just think, although I think the prices overall are way too low, I think actually in, these, in terms of these midfielders compared to other players, I think it's only Saka they've got really wrong. I think he should be more expensive. I think it should be more like Saka at 9 to 9.5, Martinelli and Erdogan the same price at like 8.5 in reality. So that's why Saka's even more of a no-brainer. Um, and it's going to be weird starting a season without Salah, to be honest. Yeah, and I think with Martinelli, he'll start to get like subbed off more when he's more fatigued, when the Champions League starts coming out, sure. coming every, yeah. every midweek. But Champions League doesn't start until midweek in game week five. Mm. So... He should be playing like mostly ninety minutes or eighty-five minutes if he if he's sharp. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Should we move on to forwards and then we'll just do some questions to finish after that? Yeah. Uh, so in terms of forwards, I don't think there's a lot to discuss here. Well, there are there are a few key things to discuss, but just not a lot of players to discuss, I guess. Um, so again, same graphic. Um, obviously, Haaland's way out on top. I don't think there's any justification for not having Haaland. Uh, I think I'm glad they increased his price because it will increase, it will decrease the ownership slightly. But I do really wish he was like they kind of put the boat out and made him like 15, for example, rather than 14, to make it a proper conversation. Um, I guess the on this graphic I've kept um, Nkunku in it just because we don't know the extent of his injuries, um, because um, we we know at the time of recording this that we know that he felt something in his knee and was therefore removed and is being assessed. So for all we know, it's a false alarm and he'll play game week one. So I've kept him in for that reason. Jesus I've, has been ruled out for a few weeks, so we know we're just not going to go with him in game week one. So it's Haaland plus one, maybe plus two others. Um, yeah, who kind of like stands out to you here, Ben? Is is the the obvious answer that I think there is? Well, it was in Nkunku before yeah. the issue. So what's the obvious answer now? Is it Watkins, do you think? Um, I think it is, but I don't know. Maybe you just yeah. maybe disagree, I just think. No, I, I agree. It's just trying to shuffle around the, the budget so that yeah because i could i could afford the 7.5 when i made my team last night with martinelli 
um, Saka, the two man United midfielders mm. and Burmo and then had a four point five and a four in goal and then you've got to got to like downgrade somewhere in, in defence to to get the extra extra money for Watkins. Yeah, yeah, you've got to either. I think this is the decision for me at this stage is either having Watkins as my second striker or going for a cheap second striker like Vissa or Pedro, for example, and then having um, a better first sub and having Chilwell, for example, which is probably the wiser thing to do. But I just don't know if I trust like Vissa or Pe- Pedro is getting a lot of talk at the moment as an option. And he's played a bit in preseason, but in my opinion, early on, it's just too much of a risk um, because he's competing with Ferguson, with Welbeck, with Matoma, with March. Like Lallana's played in preseason, even they've got Gross uh, in Cisco, is it as well? Like there's just so many attacking players, and so many players can play in general across their attacking, across the attackers in different positions. I feel like I'm not willing to go there. I'm not yet convinced I'm willing to go there because of also just how good Watkins is, which is why at the moment my thought process is that I'll have a just really cheap subs that have two that I know play at 4.0 in terms of defenders, but just going to take a bit of a gamble on shallow squad depth so I can get Watkins in because he's so nailed and the fact he yeah he's on penalties really good underlying data as well 0.3 xg per 90 non-penalty last season uh and I just think yeah like Darwin and Gakpo for me again I'm just not confident on who will start enough to take a gamble there early on um but you actually mentioned Alvarez to me I did I was going to say that earlier which I think he's he's what he's turning 24 in in January so it's his second year in Pep system maybe he's got plans to use him more this year with Mares going out and Gundogan maybe he's going to get more minutes and we've got the community shield and we might get leaked team news for the, the game week one game so if he's starting both of those games in a row then he could be a, a serious option he's, he's a quality player isn't he um, yeah he is he's so good yeah and it's, it's the fact that he could... Yeah, I guess it could be like De Bruyne and Alvarez played together, which we saw a little bit at the end of last season. Because early in the season, it was either De Bruyne or Alvarez. When Alvarez, he always came in for De Bruyne and played like behind Haaland. This is when Haaland was fit. Whereas I think last season, there was a game where all three played and maybe we saw that a few times towards the end. I'd need Luke to remind me, to be honest. Um, but yeah, when he's on the pitch, he's really good. I, again, it just feels like a big risk, but it's going to be so tempting if he does play in the Community Shield. Um, I think based on a brief conversation I had with Luke yesterday, he thinks there's like a good chance he'll play two out of the first three, for example. Um, but he'll provide more insight on that next week. And oh, you really depressed me when you told me that he's 20, only 23 because he's, <laughs> he's 23 years old and he's already won a treble and a World Cup. That's unbelievable. <laughs> I think 23, I couldn't, I couldn't even get into my uni football team. <laughs> um, so, I, yeah, he's... Um, I just don't think I can bring myself to go there. And I think this is a similar position to like, it's kind of what we discussed around keepers actually, is you can't really go that wrong if you just like, obviously Haaland, but with the second option is either Watkins or a cheap one and then a a better first sub probably. I think that's the reality of it personally, but I don't know, Jackson could be interesting. I've not put a lot of thought into him. I know a lot of people had him even before Nkunku was injured. So if he was a genuine option then and now Nkunku's injured, maybe I should be considering him more and that might be somewhere I need to do a bit more looking into. Um, he's got the asterisk, asterisk next to his um, data there if you're watching. 
And that's just to show that that data is from a different league, which is why it's also buying Kunku and Pedro as well, just in case anyone was wondering. But yeah, so he was playing La Liga last season. And yeah, 0.45 XG, non-penalty XG per 90s. Pretty mad. Yeah, he's looking at his transfer market page. He, he went on a massive scoring run at the end of the year. So I think that's that's why Chelsea signed him. It's like goal, two goals, goal, two goals. Like every game he's getting one or two attacking contributions just on a really hot run last season. Um, but that's also the reason why when Nkunku was fit, I was so willing to just pay the 0.5 for Nkunku because Nkunku's been doing that for like two or three seasons, scoring like 30 goals a season. So there's just way more assurance and I think his minutes were way higher compared to Jackson. But Jackson, yeah, it's a similar type of gamble in terms of judging how well he'll transition to the league. You know, particularly for someone like me, I just don't watch a lot of football outside of England at all. So it's just going to like look at the numbers and just... I'm willing to take a gamble on that he'll be able to do that but yeah also just trying to judge the minutes is the tricky thing yeah I suppose if if Nkunku's injury is serious then it it definitely opens up Jackson as an option yeah. but if it's only a small like a doubtful kind of thing then it makes it hard to go for either of them I yeah suppose. yeah I think um, yeah so the, the, only, the only players now we've not discussed are Vissa who I don't think is an option now to be honest because we know like Mbwemo is on penalties and he's not, um, and again because of minutes. But I think I think Calvert Lewin um, is like a genuine consideration and will be at times this season. But I think with his recent return for injury, like, I probably wouldn't go there. But those, yeah, I can see why people would do it with those first four fixtures particularly. Um, yeah, I can see I can see why he might be interesting. Did Did you have anything else to add on um, forwards, um, Ben? Or did you want to move on to a few questions to finish? No, we can we can move on to the questions now. Great, let me get those up. And I'll change this so you can see both of us. Great. Um, so I think some of these questions are probably directed specifically at you, Ben. People are very excited that you're on our podcast. Um, <laughs> Seb's asked us a question, which I find really funny. I'm going to ask him the question next week and make it really difficult. Um, so Andy, FPL Mode, says, who are your favourite three Arsenal players for game week one now that Jesus is out? So in three words, who would you go for? We've been discussing this. It's uh, Gabriel, Saka and Martinelli. Yes, uh, I agree with that. But I can see justification for Odegaard as well. Seb's question was actually, how much weight do you place on flexibility versus planning out a strategy for the first few weeks? How important is having a rough idea of first wildcard usage to this? We've discussed that briefly already. But I guess like in general, I suppose a good question then is... uh, do you have like a specific time frame you like to have in mind? For example, Ben, when you used review last night, did you set it up for eight game weeks like I did? Or do you think that's too long or would you, or too short and would you just go for 12? Um, yeah, I set it up for eight game weeks as well. Um, you don't need to look too much beyond there, I suppose. Um, but wild carding, you can be flexible with, with that early on. I suppose you don't want to, you don't want to take too many risks early and, have to wildcard in game week three. You want enough data to build up like four or five weeks worth of data before you can play an effective wildcard. So you just you just want to be like, have a settled team mm. for those like first five weeks or whatever. And then, yeah, just get into the swing of things as the season goes. It just, things change and you just go along with it. You can sometimes think the template is so strong 
early on but it just it gradually shifts over the years over the year and there's always something interesting happening yeah yeah for sure i agree with that completely and yeah what we said at the beginning of the podcast as well in relation to that um F- at fpl noble gents how do you feel the new ruling around stoppage time will affect fpl you're the perfect person to ask ben because i know you already looked into kind of how this might impact things and what players it might impact or you've considered it at least i did consider it so what are they thinking you could get like nine or ten minutes in games occasionally i mean in the world cup you remember the england iran game that was like a, an outlier you got like what 15 minutes of stoppage but how much how many more stoppage times on average could it be like two or three minutes on average really at the start of the years um i think it's more like to be like five like an extra five or six minutes on average to be honest on average that's, i that's think so. so that that is significant yeah. so so yeah that's why i looked at the players who don't get subbed off because they get the full extra five minutes on average to their to the ex- expected minutes whereas the people who get subbed off in like half the games or more than half the games they're not going to get those those extra minutes so it, it benefits those those players that well, i made the the graphic i did a little bit of research didn't i well, let's try and find it it's it definitely helps bruno fernandez because he like he never got the subbed off yeah, um yeah yeah it's kind of the obvious ones like harry kane and Know, the defensive midfielders who we, we're going to ignore but like madison's becomes a good option ollie watkins as well it, it boosts him yeah. he didn't get subbed off much at all um any penalty takers i guess as well just five minutes on the pitch even if they're not doing anything in that five minutes it's just an extra five minutes where your team might win a penalty and you're on the pitch to take it but with like I, it's also more time for teams to concede but it's that thing of like I think it is like a little bit significant because ultimately if it's if it does turn out to be like an extra five minutes per match, that is interesting. But it's whether then coaches start to make subs five minutes later as well, and for that reason, that then well you're you're, you're into kind of sports science and <laughs> and stuff. Some players can only last like sixty or so minutes, can't they? Uh, yeah, it's more decisions made on minutes. Well, it's a mixture. Quite often. Um, if a player is returning from injury, a very set decisions made on on minutes. So forty five or sixty minutes, for example, would be quite common. Um, whereas with other players, they play a bit more by ear and they see how they're looking on the pitch or talk to them at halftime about how they're feeling. So it it, it depends on the player. But yeah, my my instinct would be that particularly initially it wouldn't impact when teams make subs, particularly because a lot of those subs are naturally tactical anyway. There is much to do with tactics as well as fitness, and so they're going to happen when they need to happen. Um, but it's just whether it's just actually, even though it might have an impact, it's actually whether it's a measurable impact that's going to actually, will actually impact who we choose. Probably not, particularly if like review is going to take that into account, which it will in terms of its data uh, and minutes as well uh, in terms of players. So yeah, so I think it will make a difference, but maybe not enough difference for it to be the difference between us buying two players. That's kind of my general take on it. Okay. Yeah. Is that... Do you think the same, or do you think it could actually be a difference maker? Well, like I was saying, if you it depends if if you just look at the minutes that review's got, and if if you judge them as being as being fair, you might want to up the minutes. You might think you might be ahead of the curve on it, and just give players like Watkins a bit, a few more minutes. Players like Bruno Fernandez, though, and he's in our drafts, whatever, so it doesn't really matter about him, but. I do think it, it helps certain players a little bit more. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
yeah, it's definitely interesting. It'd be really interesting to see how it plays out as well. I was chatting to um, James, a guy who, who's, um, I can't remember what his Twitter handle is now off the top of my head, but they're really into analytics. And I was chatting to him about it and he thinks that um, it will be similar to what happened at the World Cup where it was implemented really heavily early on and actually referees actually got less strict on it and reduced it because obviously it annoyed people. But I think in, in principle, it's a good thing in terms of ultimately more time being added on for players time wasting and the ball being out of play. Um, uh, Guppy FPL says best city defenders to own let's skip past that one just because we've already already answered it <laughs> Jack FPL underscore Jack how did Luke and Sam convince you to join them on the pod uh, and probably more interestingly what made you decide to use analytics more in your approach to FPL last season um, well, I joined the pod because well, I bumped into you in uh, in Birmingham in game week 39 we had a good chat and uh yeah, I couldn't. I just seemed like nice lads, and I just we charmed, we, we charmed you basically. Yeah, <laughs> and then uh, what was the other question? Um, uh, what made you? You mentioned actually already that you used analytics more last season. Like, what made you do that and like explore that a bit more? Because uh, I noticed like the the best managers in, in the world that are using analytics, like the the ones who are consistently getting good results and whose opinions I trust are using review more and. I suppose I've, it's not, it's like every year from like five or six years ago, I've just got gradually more and more into just doing my own research into analytics using pro, uh, pro football ref or, mm. or FBF or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Just getting more, more and more into it always. Yeah. Just finding the good, good information sources and relying on them more than, than your own opinion. But I don't think I've drastically changed how I play over the years mm. and I think a lot of people will are, are really good when it comes to watching football or just looking at stats and they're just really good at applying that in their heads and they know what they're looking for etc I think I find review helpful because I can look at the I can look at the underlying data and see who's got the best defense or attacking threat but I struggle to in my head put that into the context of minutes for example so just the fact that kind of quantifies it for me and gives me a figure I find useful and then it's what I mentioned earlier about it being just a really unbiased, like, objective opinion on your team. And it might just rule out something you're trying to do that's really stupid or make you consider a player that you might not have even considered before. And suddenly you look into them a bit more. Um, for me, it's that. In fact, the question wasn't asked to me, but I just wormed my way in. <laughs> um, I'm just going to find a couple more. Okay, in one word or in a, in a, in a sentence, do you think Inketia or Trossard are options? Depends on Jesus's um, injury, but if he's out long term, then I think Inketia could be. Yeah, because he played a lot under Inketia's out um, when um, Jesus was injured last year. I think Inketia did well, but yeah, yeah it depends on the injury. It's just like not being com- it's just not for game week one in my opinion because we just can't be confident enough on that yet that he's going to be particularly having they've just signed Havertz. It could so easily just be Havertz that plays there and then you have Nketi or something, that's a striker spot used up and an Arsenal spot used up with a player who's not starting. But I agree. I also agree with you on Trossard, like you said. I agree with you on Trossard that it's more Nketi that might become an option rather than him. Even though Trossard's actually scored quite a few in pre-season, I just don't think... I just think, yeah, from again, from conversations with Arsenal fans that it's Martinelli, Saka are definitely the first choice on the wings. Um... One word answer, Foden or Martinelli? 
Asnavi. Same, I agree. Um, let me just go to the uh, initial tweet and see if there's any questions on there. Here we go. This is interesting. <laughs> why, do, why does Pingu's mum iron even though none of them wear any clothes? <laughs> it's actually a really good question. Maybe it's to do with um, gender stereotypes of women still existing amongst children's cartoons around penguins. Something like that. <laughs> That's the deep answer. <laughs> it's a very good question. Uh, where's Luke? Luke will be here next week with Serp. Um, yeah, I suppose. I think yeah, we've answered we've, we've answered all the questions now that didn't come up in the podcast, uh, like previously, and that's kind of a good segue into. So, in general, how the podcast will work is it will be two of us each week. So this week is me and Ben. Then it will be uh, Luke and Seb next week, and it just depends on our availability. I think it will be quite often be me and one of the other three guys. You'll be disappointed to hear, um, <laughs> but in general, it will be, be a mixture. And we might even try later in the season having like three of us or even all four of us on one episode if we fancy branching out as well. Um, yeah, I mean, is there anything else to cover, uh, Ben? I guess the only thing we've not covered is captaincy for game week one. I'm sure Luke and Seb will discuss that next week, but do you have the like bottle to go against Haaland in game week one? I don't, I don't think so. What about you? Um, I like to think that I do. <laughs> but I don't know, it's just like the idea of like Haaland scoring a hat-trick in the first day and you've not even like you're miles behind before even the first Saturday of the first game week is painful. But I think there's actually quite a big difference on review, so I actually think I might go for it. I might just go for Saka in the first game week and just back Burnley. Um, I think I'm probably going to just be a slave to review and just go for it. The, the fear will set in The fear will set in more like the day before exactly. the deadline. It's kind of easy to say it now, but yeah, but like wait to see how you feel. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and there's... Yeah, other things to consider in terms of minutes and yeah, yeah, all sorts. I'm for sure I'll try and find an excuse not to captain, sorry, to captain Harland. I'll find a way to com- find a bit of confirmation bias to make me do it. Um, yeah, so as I also want to say a big thanks to FPL Captain on Twitter, who's a guy called Chris, who's helped us out massively with our getting all our graphics together. So really appreciate that. Thanks to uh, Review as well. Um, uh, I was going to say his name then, but I don't know if his name is public, so I won't. But the person who runs FPL Review, like just like he works so tirelessly to get that website together and it like for me i know a lot of people who are skeptics of analytics think that it makes the game more boring i think it's really interesting and makes the game more exciting and he does an incredible job so massive thanks to him and for letting us share this data as well within the podcast which he gives us permission to do so we appreciate that um yeah tune in to seb and luke uh, next week that'll be the evening before the first game week um and yeah, thanks for, for joining as well, Ben, and for joining the podcast this season. I'm sure people will be looking forward to hearing what you have to say for the rest of the season. Okay, thanks for having me. It's been good. Pleasure. Thanks, everyone. Uh, have a good game week one.